Now, at the end of, uh, after I finish teaching today, we are actually going to share communion. And uh, in case you feel uncomfortable, because there seems to be something underneath you right now, uh, <laughs> that was the communion cup, okay? <laughs> if, if it feels soggy underneath you, you, you probably split it, okay? But... Uh, so, so we're going to share communion at the end of the service today. Uh, those of you that are in the cafe, um, I think you've been served out there as well. And uh, we're going to do that afterwards. And if you're visiting with us today and that makes you feel, you know, like, am I excluded? No, you're not. Okay? No, you're not. Uh, this isn't just for a select few. Uh, there are no conditions. We invite you to join with us later in the service as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus at the start of this holy week, okay? So, Palm Sunday. My, my mother and father, I've shared this before, they used to, um, when we were kids, the four of us who were very close in age, four of us under five years old, and uh, Sunday afternoons, they sent us off out of the house, and we went to a big Methodist church, about a 15 minutes walk from our house, and they had their children's Sunday school Sunday afternoons. So every week, that was it. We all got, we all got dressed up nicely and properly, and they sent us out the house. And, and, and the four of us little kids walked 15 minutes through residential streets in the city to get to the Methodist church. It was a different world back then. And we'd go there for Sunday school, and we were there for whatever. We'd find our way back home. And my mother and father had a couple of hours peace and quiet, I guess, on a Sunday afternoon. I think they were concerned for our spiritual well-being, but they were probably concerned for their own sanity as well. So, so that was kind of, that was the deal on Sunday afternoons. I, I don't remember a lot from those years. I'll tell you what I remember. I remember feeling valued and wanted. I, I know they taught us about Jesus, and I think I learned a lot of the Bible stories back then, but, but the main thing I, is, is this, that the people who were looking after us at different stages in different ages, I just felt in that place I was welcome and wanted, and, and I, just, I was just happy to be there. I do remember one particular thing. And I remember the guy who was our Sunday school teacher in our little group, he said to us, now today's a very special day, of course. It's Palm Sunday. What's Palm Sunday? And nobody had an answer. And I said, I think I know. He said, okay, Roger, what is it? I said, they waved palm branches. He said, who did? I said, I don't know. Why did they do it? It, it was for Jesus. And, and actually, he kind of commended me for having an answer and reassured me. And then he came to repeat to us all some of the detail from Palm Sunday. But the truth is, living in the United States in 2022, you could ask the question of loads of people, what's Palm Sunday? And they would say, um... It's something to do with palms. That's really smart, isn't it? What's Palm Sunday? It's to do with palms. Good. Give me a bit more. Let me read to you Matthew's description of what we call 
Palm Sunday. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 8. Jesus approaching Jerusalem. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So that was, that was the start. This was Jesus coming to Jerusalem. Now, just to, just to under, underscore what was going on here, the whole of the public ministry of Jesus for three and a half years prior to this had been around an area around the Sea of Galilee and small villages and communities there. It was very localized. But now, for the first time, Jesus was coming to the capital, to the city of Jerusalem. So he was down here with all these kind of he was in redneck country, really, okay? No disrespect to rednecks. I have some in my family, all right? But he was, he was, in, he was in redneck. He was in redneck country. That, that's where he was. So the, these kind of little towns. In fact, at one point, people said about Jesus' disciples, these are just uneducated, ignorant people. That was who Jesus, they actually made fun of the way the disciples talked because they came from Galilee and had their own distinct kind of accent. But now they were coming to the big city, and this was like, okay, what now? This is Jerusalem. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> and as he approaches Jerusalem, the crowd is absolutely going Wild. The whole city is celebrating the arrival of Christ. A lot of them had heard about him. So many of them were so happy to see him. It was a huge celebration. And the disciples were thrilled because they still thought that Jesus was going to be a king here on earth. They thought Jesus was going to reestablish the authority of their nation and that Jesus was going to throw out the occupying Roman army. So they were, they were really incredibly excited about the welcome that Jesus got in Jerusalem. Things are going to change. It was the biggest make Israel great again rally ever. But but while those who were with Jesus just were absolutely taken up with the excitement of those events, Jesus viewed them differently. Because Jesus had a different take on things. And you and I have got a different take on it because we know what happened like shortly after. We know that the celebration of Palm Sunday led to the cries of crucify him, of, 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 of Thursday going into Good Friday. We know that the crowd's feelings and emotions changed and that the excitement absolutely subsided, disappeared. We know that, but the disciples didn't. The disciples were absolutely carried away with all the stuff that was going on. But here's the big thing I want to just emphasize today. 
Jesus knew. Jesus knew the cheers would end. Jesus knew the crowd would turn on him. Jesus knew the week would end in agony. Jesus knew that he would die alone. But Jesus also knew that there was no other way. And so he willingly went down that road that first Palm Sunday. He knew how it was going to end, but he still took that journey. Jesus knew. Hey, how many times have you ever said, you, you haven't counted, so it's a stupid question. But anyway, how many times have you ever said, well, if I'd only known that, right? And then if you reflect on it, there are some things in our lives that thank God that we didn't know ahead of time. There were some experiences that we've been through that if we knew that they were coming, we would have been so terrified and we would have been so scared of them. But actually when they arose, by the grace of God, we walked through them, we dealt with them tough as they were, and we came out the other side. Sometimes it's a good thing that we don't know. But Jesus always knows. Jesus is never taken by surprise and is never unprepared. Jesus knew. And the big thing that I, I, I want to just emphasize this Palm Sunday is to remind every single person listening to me right now, listen, wherever you're at, Jesus knows. Jesus still knows. Jesus knows where everything is at. He does. Jesus knows where everything is at. Jesus knows what's going on. Jesus knows what's happening. Jesus knows where your life's at. Jesus knows what you're going through right at this very time. So already I'll guarantee there's at least one person in here who the thought went through your mind and the thought was, well, if he knows, why doesn't he do something? Because I've been there too. If he knows, why doesn't he do something? And a lot of us know the answer to that question. The fact is, there's a bigger picture that Jesus is working to. Why doesn't he fix it? Why doesn't he do X, Y, Z? Because Jesus is working on something far bigger. But here's the guarantee. The guarantee is the outcome is always going to be good. I'm going to tell you, I guarantee how your story ends. Your story ends with this word, blessed. Blessed. I guarantee that's how the story ends. The pain is not forever. The struggle is not forever. But the reality is the bottom line is always blessed. And Jesus is concerned to bring us to that place where the bottom line is we're living in his blessing. He, in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3, it says this, that, that God will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I want you to look at that for a moment. And, and, and as you look at those words, just, just look at the, the, the descriptions. Beauty instead of ashes, the, 
traditional thing was that people would, would, would actually mark themselves with ashes or pour ashes over their heads when they were in, in mourning. But here's what it says. God gives beauty where there was ashes. God gives the oil of joy where there was mourning, and God gives a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Listen, Jesus knows, and His end result for you is a crown of beauty, the oil of joy, and a garment of praise. That's what He is working towards for us. So in our worst moments, faith says, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And I'm not talking about resignation that says, oh, well, what the heck. I'm talking about a positive faith approach. There's a story in the Old Testament uh, in, in the time of the prophet Elisha, and the prophet Elisha was being looked after by a, a, a couple at one point, and Elisha one day sort of starts to think, I need to do something for them because they've been so good to me. So he talks to them and says, what can I do for you? What can I, what can I bless you with? You know, and, and you know, maybe they would have said like, you know, if you can give us a a, a, a gift card for Chick-fil-A, but, but, they, but, they, but they didn't. Here's what they said. They said, we don't have a son. Can we have a son? Uh, it's like, I'll give you friendlies as well as Chick-fil-A if you want, but it's like, <laughs> you want me to? And, and they said, will you do that? So Elisha prays, and, and, and then he says to the couple, in so many months from now, you are going to have a son. And, and, and sure enough, they have this child. And then Elisha moves on some other place, and he's out there. And then, and then this, this boy, as he's growing older, a few years later, one day is really ill. His head is pounding, and, 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 and he dies. And the mother says to the husband, I've got to go and find the prophet. And so she heads off and, uh, to, to look for Elisha, and, and Elisha's servant meets her as she's coming to, to see them and to ask them to come and to help and pray for this child. And Elisha says to the servant here in, in, in 2 Kings 4, 26, run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right she said. That, I think, is one of the greatest faith statements in the Bible. Go and ask her. Ask her, is your husband all right? No, he's not. He's devastated. His son just died. Are you all right? No, I'm here because my world has absolutely been turned upside down. Is your child all right? No, he's dead. But that's not what she says. She says, she's asked, is it, is it, are you all right? And she says, everything is all right. Because she knew that now she was with the prophet, everything was going to turn out all right. 
And it did. Elisha went with her. He prayed for the child and the child came back to life again. When she was connected to the man of God, she knew that everything was going to be all right. And I want to tell you this Sunday morning, so long as you stay connected to Jesus, everything is going to turn out all right. Everything. Everything. The things you're looking at right now, say, yeah, well, that can't happen. This is impossible. I'm totally done. Everything will turn out all right. Beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, garment of praise instead of heaviness. Because Jesus knows where everything's at. And because he knows where everything is at, everything's all right. Everything's all right. There's, there's an old story that some of you probably could tell as well as I could tell it because you've heard it so many times or you could probably tell it better than I could tell it. But some of you, some of you might never have heard this before and everybody else just look interested, okay? So, so the, the story's about a, a man named Horatio Spafford. <laughs> Somebody didn't like him, right? So give a guy a name like that. So Hor Horatio Spafford was a successful attorney and, and a real estate investor who lost a lot of his fortune in the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871. And around that same time as he lost his, a lot of his fortune, his four-year-old son died from scarlet fever. Family was totally devastated and Horatio Spafford thought that they needed to do something just to ease the tension. I guess he hadn't gone totally broke because he decided that they should go to England as a family and have a vacation. But some business things came up. And uh, what he had to do was he sent his wife and four daughters off, off on the ship to go, to go to England. And he said, I'll be following on after you. And mid-Atlantic, their ship struck another ship and it sunk. And Spafford's four daughters were drowned. His wife was found clinging to some wreckage and was taken to England. From there, she sent a telegram to her husband that simply said, saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio Spafford decided that uh, you know, he better get there as quick as he could. So he got on his ship and he started across the Atlantic so that he could be with his wife. As they were making that journey across the Atlantic, there was a point at which he got a message from the captain asking him to join him on the bridge. And when he went to, to where the captain was, the captain said to him, I thought you might be interested to know that we're approaching the spot where the ship was lost. And then he left him by himself, and Horatio Spafford just stood out there in this spot where his four daughters had drowned. And in those moments, some words came to his mind that he wrote down. And a lot of you know the words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to know it is well, it is well with my soul. And Spafford wrote that hymn. It is well with my soul. Faith can say, faith can say through tears and a breaking heart, 
It is well. It is well. God's got this. God's got a hold of me. God's still God, and God's still good, and God knows. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Tap into the peace that He offers. Probably the most tested and tried person you, you'll ever find in the Bible was Job. There's a whole book written about what he went through and the incredible torture and torment when he, he lost his his, his children, he lost his home, he lost his business, he lost his health, and, and he was in an absolutely desperate condition. And, and when he was kind of in his lowest place, here's what he said, Job chapter 23 and verse 10. He said, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. I just want to remind some of you this morning, God knows the way you take. God knows where you're at. And when you've gone through this, you're going to come out of it shining. He knows the way that you take. Jesus always knows. And you know how He knows the way you take? Psalm 1 verse 6 tells us this. It says, God charts the road you take. That's the way He… that's how He knows. He knows because He charted the road. Why did He choose this road for me? Because He's got the big picture, and faith trusts Him. Jesus knows where everything is at. And Palm Sunday reminds us Jesus knew. But here's another thing. Jesus knew, but He stayed the course. Jesus stayed the course. He knew what was going to happen. In fact, back in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 15, He's talking to His disciples here, and, and in Matthew chapter 15 and verse uh, 6, where are we? 16 and verse 21. It says this, from that time onward, Jesus began to explain to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus knew. Jesus knew. When He was going through the gates into Jerusalem and everybody was shouting His praises, Jesus knew. He knew what lay ahead. He was going to suffer a lot of things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He was going to be killed. But thank God He also knew on the third day He'd rise again. But knowing what lay ahead, Jesus stayed the course. 
He knew because 600 years before Jesus came to earth, the prophet Isaiah was, was, was speaking, and, and a lot of his prophecy, he was predicting what it was going to be like when Jesus came. And, and in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6, it says this, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. This is 600 years before they did this to Jesus. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Jesus knew those scriptures. He knew what they were talking about. He knew who they were talking about. He knew this was what was going to happen to him at the hands of the people who were celebrating him as he arrived in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus knew. But he stayed the course. The next verse there in Isaiah chapter 50, it says this, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. So verse 6 says, here's what's going to happen. Verse 7 says, I know what's going to happen, but I've set my face like flint. One of the hardest substances on earth. It's like I'm going there. There's an experience that I guarantee every father in this room can identify with. It's when your child, did you notice it's always your child when they do something wrong? Right? It's not our, okay? You need to speak to your son. Right? Right? Your father is going to deal with you. Right, you, you know, and then you take, you, take, you, you take the little guy or your daughter, you, 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 you take them to their room and you close the door in the room. And as you close the door, you look at them and you burst out laughing. Because <laughs> actually what they did was hilarious, even if it was wrong. Can some of you, some of you guys, you, you, can you identify with that, right? Right? Or, or, or what they said was actually really, really funny. And so you, you know, you, you, you sort of, so you, 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 you're both laughing there and you say, keep it down, keep it quiet, okay? <laughs> we'll stay here for a couple of minutes. And then when we go out, look really sad and say, I'm, <laughs> and say I'm sorry, right? Right? Because you can't give a straight face. I mean, you know, you can't, you just can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I was bad at that. Anyway. Oh, the Bible says of Jesus, his face was set like flint. He didn't crack his face. He didn't look back. He was going to Jerusalem. He was going to the cross. He kept going. Hey, I want to encourage some of you this Sunday morning. You may feel like quitting when the going gets really tough. But I'm going to tell you this. Jesus will never quit on you, however complicated life becomes. He is committed to you, and He always stays the course. I'll say that again. He is committed to you, and He always stays the course. Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to take a look at that because most of us know those words and they can just kind of, you know, go through our heads. But look how positive they are. Surely. So it starts with this. 
all right, the, the, the writer, David, writing this psalm, he's, wanting, you know, he's absolutely convinced of this. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me every now and again. No, all the days of my life. God's mercy, God's goodness are guaranteed to us every single day of our lives. We may feel like giving up, but God will never let go of us. Every single day of our lives, every step of the journey, whether you feel him near to you right now, whether you can hear his voice right now or not, does nothing to change the fact that God is with you, that you are precious to him, and God will continue to be with you to the journey end. Every step of the way. Every step of the way. Jesus stayed the course. And then here's the third thing I, I'm, I'm going to pull out of the fact that Jesus knew. We remind ourselves he knows where everything's at. We remind ourselves that though he knew, he persevered and he stayed the course. And then the third thing is Jesus saw the end. See, that's the tough bit for us because we often can't see the end result when we're going through it, but Jesus could. Here's what it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. It says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now, look at this bit. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before him? The joy that was set before Jesus, that the reason why he endured the cross was what would come out of the cross is your salvation and mine and our reconciliation back to God. So for the joy of that end result, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus knew what was coming, but he also knew what it would achieve. He saw the end. And you know what Palm Sunday reminds you and I? We need to continue to look beyond what we see, and we need to keep our eyes at times on the end game. Hebrews 11 says about Abraham it, and his following God, he says, he did it by keeping his eye on an unseen city with real eternal foundations, the city designed and built by God. It, in verse 20, it says, Isaac reached into the future. He was looking forward. Moses, in, in verse 26, it says, he valued suffering in the Messiah's camp far greater than Egyptian wealth because he was looking ahead, anticipating the payoff. He knew what the end result would be. And I want to tell you this, the end result of the walk of faith, the end result of following Jesus, the end result of being a part of the family of God is that you and I have a place in that city that it says Abraham was looking for, a city with foundations whose builder and whose maker is God. Listen, don't get bogged down in the here and now. We live for the there and then. That's what we're made for. That's what we're made for. And here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. These hard times 
I, I love the way the message paraphrases Scripture at times, right? These hard times are small potatoes. I don't even use that phrase, but maybe some of you do. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. I'm going to read that again. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. Jesus knew. Jesus knew what would be the end result. Jesus knew that his sacrifice would open heaven for you and me. And Jesus knows today where you're at, what you're going through. And as he endured, let's endure our, ourselves when things get tough. And let's do it by keeping our eyes on the end result. Jesus knew the cheers would end. Jesus knew the crowds would turn on him. Jesus knew the week would end in agony. Jesus knew that he would die alone. But Jesus also knew there was no other way. So he willingly went down that road. We, we put a palm on that every tree, on every seat today. We actually did the hard work for you and made crosses. It took me a long time. <laughs> Amazon.com. Uh, but, but, um, but we put one on every seat, and I, and I saw them being passed out in the cafe area too. I wrote on my palm cross, as I do every year. You know what I wrote on it? I wrote, Jesus knows. Amen. You, you might want to do that. It's an option. And then put this somewhere. Put it on your refrigerator or inside a Bible, provided you open it occasionally. Um, or or, or put, it, put it somewhere where you're going to see it. Hang it in your car. And let the cross remind you, Jesus knows. He knew what was what that first Palm Sunday, but he went through it for you and me. And Jesus knows what's what for you today. And he's going to bring you through it and out the other side, stronger and victorious. Jesus, Jesus knows. We're, we're going to change gears there just now. And uh, what we're going to do is we are going to prepare for communion. And we're going to take a few moments.